The following podcast contains spoilers and words like and gosh Mate, did we watch a thing this week? Yeah, we did. Hello, everybody, and welcome to We Watched a Thing. It's Billy and Topher, and we we watched a thing this week. We did it. We we did what we say we're going to do. How you doing, mate? I'm just great. Yeah, yeah. How are you, mate? I'm I'm okay. I'm not bad. Yeah, things are things are going all right. On a on a scale of ten to the first Suicide Squad, like you're above a five. Maybe. <laughs> Like I said, I'm doing all right. I didn't say I'm doing great. Okay. <laughs> so you're doing th- about the Suicide Squad. I'm doing about the Suicide Squad. Yeah. Yeah. yeah which, cool. which is to say completely adequate. Totally. You know, I'm sure that some people enjoy me. I'm sure that some people don't. You know, I'm the, I'm the Suicide Squad of people. <laughs> <laughs> Uncouth, but kind of charming. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> well, that's what I like to think so anyway. Well, I'm sure that's what the movie wants to be as well, so that's good. That's right. So, we are, of course, talking about brand new 2021 American superhero film, The Suicide Squad. Not to be confused with American superhero film, Suicide Squad. <laughs> They've added the the. They added- like, It's just like it's, <laughs> uh, it's a standalone sequel. It's interesting that Wikipedia lists this as a sequel. I don't know. It's What, what would you really call this? Is it a reboot? Is it a sequel? Because it winks at the fact that there was something before it. It's hard to say because there are some continuing actors. Like, there are, there are no characters who have their actors replaced. But there are some characters who have their characters changed so much that it's like, well, this. it doesn't really follow on, does it? Tenth uh, film in the DCEU, written and directed by James Gunn and an on- stars an ensemble cast including Margot Robbie, Idris Elba, John Cena, Joel Kinnaman, Sylvester Stallone, Viola Davis, Jai Courtney and Peter Capaldi. And what is it about, Toph? Ah, oh, there's a thing that's <laughs> going to kill some people. We need to stop it. Yeah. <laughs> it's a comic book movie. It, it is. It is very comic book, isn't it? I actually saw, you mentioned it, I saw just earlier that this is the 10th DCEU film, and I was like, wow, if someone asked me to name them all, no way could I do it. Yeah, same. I think, you know what it is? Because so many of the recent ones haven't- Totally been, forgettable. Well, and also haven't been continuations, it, it is hard to remember that there are supposedly 10, like trying to count them. You know, like obviously you've got the Justice League ones, because you got Man of Steel- Batman v Superman, you know, those ones. I reckon I would only remember those. I would forget Aquaman. I'd have forgotten Shazam. I would forget Shazam, even though Shazam is probably my favourite of them. Um, Yeah, heaps I'd forget. (laughs) Honestly, I would would forget Suicide Squad. Well, I've spent a long time trying to forget Suicide Squad. Um, Not successfully. Well- I actually have forgotten a lot of it. I remember very, very, very little of that film. So, you might have some better kind of comparisons to make. There was definitely a beam of energy going into the sky at one point. Oh, was there? Definitely. Oh, well, that's no good. That's not- Oh, that's right. It was an enchantress, wasn't it? Because comic book- Yeah, she was doing the dance like the inflatable people at car yards. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Waving, wailing, inflatable, um, flailing tube man. Yeah, it was all very bad. Yeah. <laughs> so, they were like, let's have another swing at this. Um, a lot of directors attached to this over the journey before they landed James Gunn. And I'm assuming not that many of these people were ever, like, offered the film. But at least, you know, 
people they at least talked to um, included Mel Gibson, who I think was talked to for the first one as well. Um, Ruben Fleischer. My God, I'd have hated that film so much. Um, The guy who wound up doing Jungle Cruise. Holy shit. um, Pretty happy that didn't happen. (laughs) Um, Because, well, you could listen to our Jungle Cruise episode. (laughs) Yeah. um, Look, I mean, James Gunn is a good choice. It's very clear that they chose him- because of his work in the MCU. Like, that is extremely clear that what they- wa- And, you know, because that was clear from the first Suicide Squad. Who knows what the original of that film really looked like? Because the studio butchered it to try and recreate Guardians of the Galaxy. And they failed. And so, this time they were like, you know what? Let's do this the right way this time by hiring the guy who made Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. He's currently in Disney jail, so we'll just go get him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. Look, I'm I'm a James Gunn fan. I'm I'm that guy who was like, oh, I was a fan before he was big. <laughs> Still like his early work more than his later work? I was actually just <laughs> going to get to that. I think that my relationship with Gunn is that I think he is a very original voice. And so, I far prefer his original work to his adaptations. I think the first Guardians was- lightning in a bottle and everything came together there and that film really worked for me i thought the second one was kind of dog shit and i think this one's a little bit in between (laughs) um what what i will say is that what i think is obvious in the filmmaking and this is why i think he's a smart choice and why he was a smart choice for guardians is that it's very clear that he is a fan And I do think when it comes to comic book movies, having someone who really, really cares about the source material does make a difference. Um, So, look, I think there's a lot of things this film does right. Uh, Why don't you tell us your thoughts? So, by by the time I saw this film, and I mean, it only just came out, obviously we've seen it pretty early, but that didn't change the fact that the early response to this film was well and truly, like the narrative was set. Yes. Um, in that people were really high on this film. Now, this could be down to two things. One is that in comparison to the first one, you could only really enjoy this film. Exactly. Or secondly, and probably, to be honest, more likely, people just like this film more than me. And I don't dislike this film. I don't dislike this film, but I'm not as high on it as apparently the rest of the world are. Yeah, I, I think- I think a lot of that early kind of buzz has dropped a little. I think, you know, the film literally came out less than a week ago. Um, We did see it quite early. Already, all those scores have dropped. IMDb is down to seven at the moment. And Rotten Tomatoes, while still over 90, is down to 91 instead of the, like, 98 that it was on release day. So, I think that they'll keep evening out. A little bit as more people see the film. And I think that part of that is just that the early viewers for these films are people who are going to like these films. Like, Mm. it's the same reason that every Marvel movie, you know, starts at very high scores. Because people who are rushing out to Marvel movies on opening day are the Sam Hurleys of the world who are going to give it fucking 10 out of 10, even if it's a piece of trash. And then as more people see it, you know, I think you start to get a better picture of what the film is actually like. (laughs) You know, having said that, this film still sits mid to low 70s on Metacritic. Yeah. Like, that's a good score. That is a good score. Yeah. It's a really good score and great. I'm happy people like it. 
I, I didn't dis. I don't look. I don't dislike it. Yeah, that's exactly where I was just going to go. I, I, I like this film. I think it's fine. I think I went in with way too high expectations, and I think I'm very lucky that I was able to see it at the cinema, which I do think makes a difference. And even at the cinema, I'm not going to lie to you. This movie drags in the middle act, and there were about forty to forty-five minutes there where I was in very dangerous territory of snoring. <laughs> and I think if I had watched this at home. I would have drifted off. So, yeah, I think that seeing this at the cinema was a very good move for me. Now, you did watch it at home. How did you feel about the experience? Do you feel like this is one of those, uh, you got to see it on the big screen kind of things? I'm sure it would have been better because movies are better at the cinema. It, you know, yeah, yeah. They just are. It's like, it's like Black Widow. Would I have liked it more in a theatre? Of course I would. Yeah. Um, I can't speak to how good the the surround sound is for this film. Of course, there's things things like that that you're just not getting. Even though I'm you know I'm not messaging people during the film, you're still you're still out in the world watching a movie instead of being completely locked into it, and it's just not as good. I don't think that's the difference between me and the, a lot of people with this movie. And like you said, I was um, as I was watching it. So you touched on it, and I thought the exact same thing. This this film. In structure has what I thought of as dad bod. Yeah. Bit bit flabby around the middle. Yeah. And I think that um, the film starts quite strong, I think. I think that the first half hour of this film is is very good. I think there's some really interesting stuff happening. It's it's quite funny at times. I don't think the film lands every joke. Once they get into the superhero mission of it all. That's where it really falls apart for me. And even even the finale, you know, it finds its feet a little bit, but it doesn't it doesn't restore itself fully for me. Yeah, I would say that for a CGI fest of a climax, which, you know, they all are, uh, I think this one's above average. Um, now, we're still talking about something that I'm pretty bored of, yeah. to be honest. <laughs> so, while I do think it was done reasonably well- do I care that much about it? No. And at least the movie doesn't care. Like, the movie's self-aware enough to be like, yeah, it's a giant starfish. This is stupid. Yeah, I think that's the thing. And I think where it really works is the design and the visuals of that sequence are actually very, very good. I think it's kind of a, a cool concept. You know, we've seen it a million times, the kind of brainwashing face hugger, you know. It immediately made me think of the the brain slug from Futurama. Absolutely. <laughs> um, which actually I think might have been a bit more fun because then you'd get to see their, their faces. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think that it was executed as well as it could be. But like you said, I just don't really care. I Like- there are very few characters that I think you really care about in the film, and it's both a blessing and a curse in storytelling. You know, there's something really special about a story that immediately goes, any one of these characters could die. You know, like you think of Game of Thrones, for example, when Ned Stark dies and you're like, oh, holy shit, this is playing for keeps. There, Anybody could take it at any time. I think this film goes too far the other way, where immediately you're so in that mindset that you actually stop caring about whether any of them die. You don't particularly really want any of them to live. <laughs> yeah, there's no way that this film could have a red wedding. No, no. <laughs> you, w- you wouldn't be impacted the same way, I don't think. So, an awful lot of characters just eat it very yes. early on. Um, this is a bunch of people who we get introduced to in the same really quick 
quite frankly, lazy way that the first film did. Yes. Which when it was happening, I was like, oh, wow, it's just doing this again. I came to become completely convinced that that's actually part of the joke. That James Gunn was like, look at this. I'm doing it almost the exact way that that fucking terrible film from five years ago did it. And then I'm going to kill them all as a way of kind of Kylo Ren style, kill the past. Yeah. Yeah. And that I thought was actually done very well and took me really by surprise. Because there's really famous people who you kind of just think are not going to die 10 minutes into a film. And I don't know about you, but uh, you know that I don't watch a lot of, like, I don't watch any trailers unless I see them at the movies. The only marketing I had seen is through people who were in it. I'd seen quite a lot of Pete Davidson talking about the film. I just assumed that he was one of the Suicide Squad. So, when he dies in that first like 12 minutes in when all of them eat it and he's the first one i was like oh shit i did not see that coming like yeah and then on like an even more self-aware level you know that rooker and gun have this relationship so rooker turns up right i mean right at the beginning of the film he's the first person we meet wearing just an astonishingly magnificent wig. Um, <laughs> thing is incredible. It's like they just went to the um, the props department at Weta Studios and got <laughs> Saruman's wig. It was like, yep, this will do for Rooker. Very much like that. Um, so, yeah, you're not really expecting Rooker to cop it 10 minutes in either. No, and I actually- I'm a big Michael Rooker fan, you know, and Gunn has had Rooker in everything since- basically since he started as a young director. So, yeah, it was- and I think it was so well done. It almost put me in that Scream mindset. You know, when Drew Barrymore dies in the opening scene of Scream, spoilers, sorry. <laughs> and you're like, holy shit. That It's such a great move, I thought, to introduce us to Rooker as if he was our guy. Yeah. And then have him die so quickly and so unceremoniously. I mean, Boomerang was one of the better things about that turd of 2016. Yeah. I was actually really happy when it was announced that he was that Jai Courtney was going to be part of this film because I was like, ah, he you know what? He actually came out of one of the few people that came out of that film not stinking. Um so I was happy to see him back, but then I was also I, I would have I would have been fine with having more of him because I think he's good in the role, but also yeah, the joy with which Gunn was like, Yeah, watch me just blow this thing up was also quite fun. Yeah, easily the most fun scene of the film, too. I think that that, for me, is where the kind of over-the-top gratuitous violence really lands the best in the film. And, you know, so much of it is just so ridiculous that you do have fun with it. You get that kind of- you and I have spoken about it before, that gleeful joy you get watching Evil Dead, where it's like, oh, yeah. Um, I don't think the rest of the film ever really reaches that. I think, like I said, I think there's a lot of boring bits. I think the scene when the new Suicide Squad team arrive in, insert random South American country here, and they attack the base that turns out to be good guys, but they've killed them all. Yeah. That scene's pretty fun. Um, Apart from that, I don't think it ever reaches the same fun levels, though. Yeah, well, following on from that, I think the rest of the film, this is no revelation to say that the film lives and dies on the dynamic of the characters. Specifically, though, the rest of the film lives and dies by the the dynamic of Idris Elba and John Cena. Yes. I think. And as you've said, that scene where they carve through what they assume is 
the army camp, which yeah. turns out to be the rebels, which is just genuinely really fucking funny. That's really that was really well done. That when they're scene, competing about who can kill the other in the most outrageous way, <laughs> dick measuring contest of murdering people. Um, the editing there is really good. Like it's fast paced, but also at the same time lets you just yeah just lets the action play out in front of you in a really comedic way. Yeah. Um, that whole thing is that whole thing is brilliant. Yeah, and this is what Gunn is best at. I think people forget that these are his roots. You know, much like Peter Jackson, Gunn started making schlocky, terrible horror films. Like he started as an intern at Troma Films, and and ended up making. I, I think Tromeo and Juliet was his first film. But either way, just completely outrageous, over the top, totally ultra violent stuff that is. So fun and schlocky. That's where he shines. And I, I kind of I, like it's a fine line. I don't necessarily wish there was more of it in the film. I just wish there was more that wasn't kind of dull mission type stuff. So how long should the movie be? A lot shorter than two hours. Yeah. The length of this film is far, far too long. Honestly, 90 minutes might be pushing it. You could get away with a really, really great version of this film at like around the 80 to 85 minute mark. And there's nothing wrong with that. The films used to be around that length and it was perfectly acceptable. Uh, I think- Especially action films. Especially action films. Especially action films. I think that over- over two hours is fu- it really does outstay its welcome for me at least. I completely agree. I felt the run to- and it's like it's not a particularly long film. Um, but well, you I mean, feel it. By these days' standards, it's not particularly long. No. It's an awful lot shorter than Zack Snyder's Justice League. This is like two hours, 12 minutes, especially if you sit through the entire credits, which you have to for the post-credits scene because it's, you know, it's it's a comic book movie. Mm. Well, you don't have to. <laughs> That's true. You can be like, fuck you. If you want to tell me a story, tell me a story. So, let's talk characters and cast then. You've kind of already mentioned the cast that were in the previous film, which really, from memory, is just Jai Courtney and Margot Robbie. Is that right? And Rick Flagg returns. Rick Flagg. Yeah, who com- completely different characterization, though. Can I be real with you for a second and tell you who who kept me awake during this movie? John Cena. John Cena fucking shines in this movie. For me, he is far and away the best thing about this film. Has he ever looked more- like a roided up Mark Wahlberg than in this film. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> but it works so well for the- ca- And like, even even from his very introduction, where he's introduced with the exact same monologue with which we are introduced to Idris Elba. <laughs> that is actually very funny. Yes. That's yeah. very funny as, a, as just a broader comment on- Certainly these films, and if I was going to hazard- Like, I'm not a comic book reader, but if I was going to guess, probably comic books generally, like how many times has either DC or Marvel or an author just gone, you know what, I really want that, you know, essentially that character that I killed 17 (laughs) issues again back, so he is the (laughs) same person with a different name. Um, Really funny. And Idris sells that moment beautifully in the prison. Um, that was brilliant. That's actually one of my favorite moments of the, the entire film. I thought that was sensational. Just again, like for me, all the best moments of this film have to do with its self-awareness. Agreed. Um, yeah. And that one, that's right at the summit for me. 
Agreed. Yeah. Yes. I mean, so honestly, talking about the cast, John Cena, I very much liked Ratcatcher 2. I really liked Ratcatcher 2. I thought she was very good. Um, And for me, they're kind of the best parts of this movie. I love Margot Robbie. I'm not as crazy on Harley Quinn as the rest of the world is. And I think that this movie did- a good job of it. I think she's balanced the best here where she doesn't outstay her welcome like she did in Birds of Prey, which I know it's a Harley Quinn film. I shouldn't say she outstayed her welcome, but for me, that, w- that was just too much Harley Quinn. <laughs> like, um, well, I think she said to James Gunn when he was writing this film that she thinks that the character works better as someone who flies in and out of the story rather than being the centre of it. Absolutely true. And I think that this film balances that very well. I still, for me, I just, I just, I'm not super invested in that character. I just kind of, uh, for me, this movie would be the same with that part of the storyline cut out. I Look, I don't dislike Robbie as Harley Quinn. Like you, I'm probably not as taken with it as a lot of people are. W- was I in any way getting off on the Harley Quinn and the Javelin storyline? Not at all. No. Not at all. Um, her escape and the- you know, we're talking about the dad bod section of the film, like her escape and her would-be rescue, like that is the part of the film. And it's not it's not just that sequence, yeah. but it is that part of the film where I was like, all right, could we move this along? Can I see more of Peter Capaldi with shit in his head or something? For me, anyway, in that period of the film, the film itself is just having way less fun. Yes. So if- if those scenes, which some of them I would quite frankly just cut the entire scenes, if they were there but really fun, like that's fine. I'm that's absolutely fine by me. I didn't find them fun. I was just like, Jesus. I don't actually care about the third general in line in Corte Maltese. Yeah. I did spend a decent chunk of the film wondering why I know the name Corte Maltese. Yeah. Because I'm not like I, like I said, I'm not a comic book reader. Um, I'm not up on all this stuff. And I realized that when I'd be re-watching Tim Burton's Batman and where Kim Basinger's character was a um, was a conflict photographer who had been to Corte Maltese. And I, I, for, for ages, I was like, I was like, fuck, I'm dumb. I don't know where this place is. Um, yeah, it's make believe. <laughs> I would imagine so. Because <laughs> I, I didn't know where that story was going. I, I thought you were going to tell me that you spent a lot of your youth in Cotabaltese. I was like, what? Yeah. Um, that's, yeah, revelation time. Yeah, right. Yeah. My dad was a freedom fighter. <laughs> Got stabbed to shit by Peacemaker. Actually, that was my favorite line of the film. Uh, was John Cena saying, I care about peace, I treasure it, and I will kill any man, woman, or child to get it. <laughs> I found that just a kind of discount Doctor Strange love line. <laughs> um, Death by Rat can fuck off. Yeah. Not here for that. Wouldn't be a good way to go. No. When my time comes, don't let it be that. I mean, all right, throwing back to Emperor's New Groove from a couple of months ago- would you rather have death by rat or fly fly up a cliff with bats in the mouth? Oh, Jesus. Uh, uh, maybe bats. Really? 
You go in the bats in the mouth. I'll take COVID over the Black Plague. <laughs> <laughs> nah, rats can fuck off. I'm with Idris. Not a fan. <laughs> Not a fan. The only way I'll pat one is if it talks and is kind of funny and wears clothes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> like Guardians, a lot of needle drops in the film. Heaps, yep. Don't like many of them. No, they're not. Guardians worked really, really well. And again, that film was just lightning in a bottle. Um, needle drops didn't really work for me. here. I mean, honestly, so unmemorable. I couldn't even tell you what one of the needle drops was. I remember the needle drop of Metallica in Jungle Cruise much better than I remember anything from here. Did Wait, was there Creep? Did Creep play at one point? I uh, couldn't tell you. And, like, in, you know, it's a different thing. In Guardians, it's purposefully insanely well-known poppy pop pop songs. Yeah, but I think the other thing that worked with Guardians is because of the setting of the film and the whole device of the of the cassette tape, they were all very 80s tracks and it, it kind of worked narratively, whereas here it doesn't feel as cohesive. Yeah, I agree. Just give me all stoner rock. I would have loved it. This movie does have that rare, certainly a rare thing for me, where there's a part of the CGI fest at the end that I actually genuinely like, um, which was the, se- the the little mini sequence of Idris just falling down levels in a kind of Looney Tune-esque kind of way. I actually found very funny. Yeah, actually, a whole theatre laughed out. In fact, that probably got the biggest laugh in our entire session. That was very funny for some reason. Like, yeah, mad props to the film. It made me like part of a CGI fest. Good job, it. And again, I I actually think that the the design uh, was very good. I think that big starfish looked good. And as you say, that's when the film works best is when it leans into exactly what it is doing. And it's like, you know what? This is a fucking starfish. <laughs> like, that's what it is. And this is it. <laughs> <laughs> but even like, like as I imagine, you're kind of alluding to like texturally and stuff. That thing. Yes. Star- Starro was really well done. It really, it really was. And the funny thing about that is that it, it kind of didn't need to be. As you say, it's so dumb that, you know, it's, it's like uh, South Park, for example. Like, South Park is animated in top-of-the-line 3D software, but they still make it look like shit because that's funny. <laughs> and this was a little bit the same. This is the one chance they had where it actually would have been kind of funny if this thing didn't look as good as it did. If it was, like, literally a cartoon. Yeah, and yet it kind of looks the best that- I think any of the bad guys have looked in any of the DC films. It looks better than Enchantress Dancing, I'll tell you that much. It looks a fuckload better than- what's- I forget his name from Justice League. Was he Steppenwolf? Steppenwolf, yeah. In either version of that film. <laughs> um, so, we both like this film a little bit shorter. One thing I could use more of is Viola Davis screaming abuse at just anyone. I was just going to get to Amanda Waller. So, from my memory, she is by far the most different characterization, right? Like, she's straight up evil in this film. Like, she threatens children. She blows people up, which I don't think we actually see any of in the first film. (sighs) She's pretty fucking evil in the the first one, I think. Is she? I think so. Right. Okay. It's been a while, though. It's been it's been exactly five years. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Viola Davis. Uh, yeah, she was good. She was good. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. Her screaming her head off at anyone. Great stuff. Yeah, totally here for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
they must just pinch themselves. It's like, where, how how is it that we have Viola Davis? I'm not sure, but holy shit, this is going to be fun. I mean, well, what's the, what's the bigger catch, though? Viola Davis in the DCEU or Helen Mirren in the Fast and Furious verse? <laughs> um, look, all respect to Helen Mirren. I'm here, for, like, I'm a Helen Mirren fan, but Viola Davis is, like, one of the absolute apex predators of the screen acting world. Okay. All right. Maybe I phrased it wrong then. Um, Viola Davis in the DCEU or Charlize Theron in the Fast and Furious verse? <laughs> Fucking powerhouse Oscar-winning actress Charlize Theron. I can tell you which one I like more in those franchises, and it's absolutely Viola Davis in this. Uh, definitely, definitely. She she does a far better job of this role. <laughs> she actually, I, I will say this. I think that this might be- No, that that's not fair. But I do think that you can actually feel that most of the people both on and off screen really care about this film. Whether or not I think it lags in the middle is one thing. But I think you can actually see that everyone is really, really, like, giving this the due that they feel it deserves. Like, from everywhere on screen and off. And they care more about the audience than the first one because there's no Jared Leto. Um <laughs> So, thanks for that, James Gunn. We all owe you one. Do you reckon that was ever a discussion? Do you reckon that anyone was ever like, so is, uh, is Joker going to pop up in this? I imagine it was. Uh, do you think that DC have finally learned their lesson? Like, the big problem with the Suicide Jared Leto Squad- sucks? Well, hopefully. <laughs> the big problem with Suicide Squad, to my understanding, is- you know, the kind of studio control issue where who knows what the original of that film was actually yeah. meant to be other than David Ayer. Do you think that Gunn had basically autonomous control over this film? I, just, I mean, he said that he had more control over this than he has had with Guardians. And, I mean, filmmakers within the MCU kind of famously are always saying we were surprised at how much freedom we had. Yeah. So- for Gunn to say that about this film, I've, I mean, if we're just taking him at his word, I think we've got to say that he probably had a lot of control. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't surprise me. I think the difference is that this, you can call it a sequel all you want. This is effectively a standalone film. The MCU, Guardians, must have been at least like the 15th film. Like, whether or not he had a fair amount of control, you still have the studio saying, okay, well, this is where the story's going. This is where it's been. So, you need to include these beats. So, I, I think I'm not surprised that this would have been less controlled than that. But it's shocking that it would have been completely kind of go for it. I did see that uh, Kevin Feige visited the set which is, you know, obviously that's great that, you know, he and Gunn have that relationship where, like, it's, you know, we don't care that you're doing this. That's fine. We're still all friends here to say hi. At the same time, was he just walking around full alpha dog style? Yeah. Like, yeah. you all know what you want to be. Oh, this is cute. It's- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Do the old, you know, the old dad thing when you go around to your mate's place, they've got a new barbecue. Oh, yeah. 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 Gas. I see. Oh. Not, not charcoal, huh? Yeah, right. <laughs> Only- only got the eight burner, did you? <laughs> <laughs> no uh, sidewalk. <laughs> yeah. No rotisserie, I see. Oh, okay. Oh, you got to have that rotisserie, mate. <laughs> <laughs> That's Kevin Feige. Yeah. Alpha dad. <laughs> um, there's, a, there's a real key character that we have not even brought up yet. There's a fucking shark in this movie. 
voiced by none other than Sly Stallone. <laughs> now, mate, I think that's a perfect, perfect choice. Just like, you know, the kind of joke about how Sly Stallone just can't speak English and making him play this shark who can barely talk is a really fun move. You know, because I'll tell you who didn't know they were filming, just getting ahead of you in, in the Wangro special, Sly Stallone. I bet, I bet they didn't even script his parts. I bet he just got in the audio booth and was like, and they were like, yeah, that'll work. <laughs> they floated some fish in front of him. Yeah. He was like, hey. <laughs> yeah. um, I, would, I would go this far. My favourite voiceover character in a James Gunn film. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He beats Groot, in terms, for sure. Sorry, let me be more specific. My favourite voice work. Yes. Yes. yes I would yes. take Groot as a character over whatever Killer Shark's actual name was. Starts with an N. Couldn't tell you what it is. Um, Nanu or something. But- Sly's work, yeah. fantastic. Just like really, like really fun stuff too. Like yeah. to take a character would have come in that for like dumb. what three hours in an yeah. audio booth. Yeah, you know, like I remember everyone before Guardians came out being like, "Really, there's a, there's a fucking raccoon and a walking tree in this." But honestly, this is even sillier than that. Like to have this kind of humanoid esque shark, which is like ninety percent shark like. Like his head is literally just a shark head, but he can walk. It's so dumb, and yet it actually really worked quite well for what this yeah. was. There's, like, there's a part of you that wishes you were above the joke of "I'll wear a fake moustache," but it's funny. Oh, it's fu- when he puts his hand there. He's like, "See, <laughs> it's good stuff." All right, so it sounds like we're on about the same level here. How are you going to score the Suicide Squad? I've already said that I don't dislike it, but I don't particularly like it. Um. This film screams, as so many comic book movies do, it just screams this thing to me that, well, like, this means nothing. So, it almost plays beautifully into its own title. It's like, this means nothing, so kill it. Um, it can kill, kind of kill itself. In it, it might be a genius move from Gunn, or it might just be me being like, yeah, it's another one of these movies that doesn't mean anything to me. Um, can't really decide. Either way, I'm fine with this film. Five out of ten. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm very much the same. I'm a six. I, there were, like I said at the top, I think there's a lot of things about this film that work really, really well. But I think if a film like this, as outrageous as this, and as supposedly fun and over the top violent like this, can't hold your attention for the entire film, that's a pretty big problem. So. As much as I think really worked about this film, I just I cannot go any higher than a six. All right. Well, before we get to uh, what we're getting to next week, I think we've got a little. Uh, should we hold a family meeting? Okay. Okay. All right. All right. Everyone around the table. All right. Everyone gather around. Gather around. All right. We are, as you know, the mum and dad of we watched a thing. Uh, you can work out for yourself who's who, and we've got we, you know we've got something to bring to the table to share. It's not up for discussion. It's not up for discussion, but it's not about you guys. You know, it's nothing you guys have done. You guys, you guys are, you guys are good. You guys, are, you guys are fine. But we're sending you to the orphanarium. <laughs> that's right. That's right. We we have decided it's medical science for the lot of you. <laughs> uh, we have decided that after four years, it's time to hang up our cans and move on to newer pastures. Is is that how you describe it? I was going to say we're going to stop. <laughs> <laughs> So, all right, we're near. We're gonna make it to two hundo. All right, we we we're just for you guys. All right, so for the next two episodes, ninety eight and ninety nine, 
we're going to do our very favourite films. Just, you know, just to really send it home. And then for the big 200, we are doing all three Lord of the Rings films. And that will be our final episode. So... I mean, thank you all for like joining us on this journey. It's been it's been a hell of a lot of fun. And when we started four years ago, I don't think we ever thought we'd make it to four years. So, but I'll save the goodbyes for later. <laughs> we'll keep the feed active, so all of the old episodes will stay up. And who knows, we might drop in every now and then and, and throw something up. Just you know, give give the kids a little nibble. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm sure I'm sure that's how it works, right? Like mum yeah. and dad, they'll stop by the orphanage every now and then. And oh, how you going? Yeah, hope yeah. you're all right. <laughs> So, anyway, that that's the plan. So, three more for you guys. So, all right. Shall we reveal now what our favourite films of all time are? I'm happy to do that. All right. So, we, I mean, we haven't decided yet what order we're doing this in. But the next, no. two, the next two weeks will be what has been my favourite movie for over three decades now. <laughs> Hasn't changed. <laughs> that's Return of the Jedi. <laughs> Not even the best Star Wars film. <laughs> Not even the best Star Wars film is my favourite movie ever. Yeah, yeah. So that'll be fun. Uh, my film is actually a good film. <laughs> and so I've actually quite recently put together my list of 100 favourite films because I was going to be doing a guest spot with The Countdown. I don't know if he'll still want me now that I'm no longer a podcaster. <laughs> Retired podcaster, Billy. Uh so I quite Once recently- he sees your list, he'll be like, fuck no. Well, yeah, so we've actually already done my favourite film, so I thought we'd do it again. We will be doing, of course, Tommy Boy. <laughs> and that's why I left the show. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, although we actually have already done- <laughs> The one that is my number one is Princess Bride, which we did do as a patron request. So going to my number two, which for a very long time was my number one, so really it all evens out, Jurassic Park- uh, in the meantime, I mean, I guess I'll still say this. <laughs> if you want to get in touch with us, you can do that at wewatchtothing.com. Uh, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, all under the handle at wewatchtothing. If you do want to help support the show in its final days, which I can't <laughs> say you probably would, but if you do, there is some bonus content there if you want to get that before it goes or something. You can do that at patreon.com forward slash wewatchtothing. Uh, it'll probably get a little bit quiet in the coming coming months, though. <laughs> um, and, uh, all right, we'll catch you next week. Watch a movie, folks. 